so I discovered that I need to rethink how I present these podcasts and present my notes because they were overlapping, where topics overlapped, but they didn't cover the exact same material. So I needed to rethink about the best way to present it. And while I, I, I the days didn't line up, so I needed to present it by topic, I think. So we're going to have some articles on the website may have two posts and maybe even three. I don't know if it'll ever take three days for us to make it through one topic, but I'm going to post things by topic. And if we get halfway through one topic in the lecture, I'll do half of that topic and then post another one later in that lecture. And most of the reason why I'm saying this is so I'm talking it through in my head so I can actually remember to do this and keep it straight. With that said, uh, we previously had talked about false imprisonment, and I can go ahead and finish this discussion of false imprisonment. Now, we talked about Newman yesterday, and now I want to talk about briefly Hardy. Um, Hardy v. LaBelle's Distributing Co. and Enright v. Groves. Really, the point of it is going to be in showing how you determine whether or not you are physically or falsely imprisoned. And there, there's a lot of things that can go into it. So let's just go over Hardy v. LaBelle's just to give a little bit of facts, to give an example. So in this case, Hardy was an employee, and she was accused of stealing a watch. She was tricked, so to speak, into walking into a room where the store manager closed the door behind her. And uh, there was another officer there in a lie detector test. Uh, she denied to stealing the watch, and she agreed to take the lie detector test. Uh, she probably felt pretty uncomfortable and probably even felt that she had to stay. Um, the lie detector test did say that she was, she was telling the truth, and she was apologized and, so to speak, set free. But in this case, I mean, the trial court it's quite interesting so the trial court said no she was not falsely imprisoned my initial assumption was that she would be falsely imprisoned in this case right i mean she was so to speak detained against her will she didn't want to be there it wasn't a pleasant experience for her but the trial court said that she was not falsely imprisoned and the uh, the appellate court agreed saying that the trial court didn't err in making this judgment. What's the reason for this? Well, Hardy testified that she was willing to clear up the issue. Yes, she was lured to the room. Uh, Her confinement may have been under false pretenses, uh, and she probably felt like she needed to stay. However, not once in the situation did she actually ask to leave the room. The person may have said no. They may have said, yeah, you can leave. They may not have done anything at all. She, She may have been uh, arrested, but we don't know because she didn't even ask. She didn't make that attempt until leave the room. She also said that she wanted to stay to clear up the misunderstanding. Now she may have felt like she needed needed to stay to clear up the misunderstanding, but in this instance, she said that she wanted to stay. So what's the difference? Where where do you draw the line of being falsely imprisoned or? Uh, the mental state of a person when determining with whether or not they were falsely imprisoned. 
Well, there are several factors that you may need to consider. Uh, the first is that there needs to be force or the threat of force, uh, the prevention of escape, and detainment. And a lot of those things need to be met. You can't really understand whether or not those things were met without the person really asking if they wanted to leave. And so that's something that carefully needs to be considered is, did you ask to leave? Or was there force to keep you there? Or was there the threat of force to keep you there? Meaning, if you are going to leave now, I will handcuff you so you stay. And that's what I mean by threat of force. We read other cases. Uh, we read Enright v. Groves, which this one, it just pretty much says, oh, Enright. Um, so the office, and so there was a lease, dog lease ordinance where any owners needed to have a leash on their dog, and if they didn't, they could be, I guess, charged with violating that ordinance. In this case, the officer saw a dog, you know, he, uh, the dog went home, he followed the dog home, and he found Mrs. Enright sitting in her car. And he asked Mrs. Enright for identification, and she refused to produce her driver's license. And so he, he got mad and he arrested her, and later she was uh, charged and... Um, I'm not sure what the other term is, but she, she was charged and fined, convicted, sounds kind of strong, of uh, breaking the dog leash ordinance. Well, here, however, she is falsely imprisoned because the officer believed that he had the legal authority to imprison her, but he didn't have the legal authority to imprison her because he imprisoned her for failing to produce the driver's license instead of imprisoning her for the dog leash ordinance. And it's pretty clear in the evidence in the facts of the case that that was the reason why he imprisoned her, was because of the failing to produce a driver's license. And there was no rule saying that she had to produce a driver's license or anything like that. So, a false arrest, here's the rule, a false arrest arises when one is taken into custody by a person who claims but does not have proper legal authority. That claim can be valid if there's a valid warrant or there's probable cause to believe an offense has been committed and that the arrested person committed it. None of those things happen in this instance, so the claim is invalid and the false arrest did occur. That's pretty much um, everything we have for a false imprisonment. Uh, one additional thing the professor mentioned is Battery is designed to protect bodily autonomy. Assault and false imprisonment is designed to protect the state of mind of the person who uh, could so be, well, the plaintiff who would be a victim of um, assault or false imprisonment. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Law Schoolers. Before I let you go, there are four things I want to say. The first thing is if you enjoyed these episodes and if you enjoyed the website, I would invite you to go and join Law Schoolers Pro. And you can do that by going to lawschoolers.com slash join. 
It's a way for you to support us, but there's also a lot of features there that I think you will enjoy. Second thing is that nearly all of our episodes are unedited. The only ones that aren't are pre-law materials, and the reason for that is so you can actually see the legal material in its raw form as I'm learning it as well. The third thing is that the information contained in these episodes are specifically only for educational purposes. They're not to be used as legal advice. And with that, the fourth thing is if it is used as legal advice, we are not liable. That is, law schoolers is not liable for any legal outcomes. Thank you again for enjoying the show. Have a good one.